I'm going to give some statements. I want you to work out, think carefully, work out if the, if the statement is true or if it's false. If you think the statement is true, I want you to give me a thumbs up. And if you think the statement is false, give me a thumbs down. Can we all do that? Yeah, okay. There's a few rounds of this. Let's see how good we are at this between us. First of all, here's a statement. Prince Harry is taller than Prince William. If you think that's true, give me the thumbs up. If you think that's false, give me the thumbs down. We have got quite a mix, probably a few more downs than ups. It's false. Harry is five centimetres shorter, two inches shorter than William. Give yourselves a pat on the back if you knew that was false. Here's another one then. Australia is wider than the moon. If you think Australia is wider than the moon, you think that's true, give it a thumbs up. If you think it's not wider than the moon, give it a thumbs down. Quite, quite, quite a mix, a few more thumbs up, maybe. It is true. Australia is wider than the moon. The moon in diameter is 3,400 kilometres, because I'm a nerd and I like all the numbers. And Australia is 4,000 kilometres wide. It's bigger in width. Okay, here's another one. I like this one. Uh, the Great Wall of China is longer in its own distance. The Great Wall of China is longer than the distance from here to the Great Wall of China. Oh, if you think that's true, give me the thumbs up. If you think that's not true, give me the thumbs down. The Great Wall of China, says the statement, is longer than the distance from here to Beijing to the Great Wall of China. That is true. Don't, Andrew was cheating. Andrew was doing this for as long, as quick as possible for as long as possible. I'm pretty sure that's cheating. Yeah, from here to the Great Wall of China is 8,000 kilometres. The length of the Great Wall of China is 21,000 kilometres. It's nearly three times the length. It's incredible. Incredible. Okay, here's a fun one. Kids, got listen. In America, their president has a white house. But in Argentina, their president has a greenhouse. If you think that's true, give me the thumbs up. If you don't think that's true, give me the thumbs down. Does the president in Argentina have a greenhouse? That is false. He has a pink house. He's got a pink house called the Casa Rosada. Okay, we're nearly there. Listen carefully. One for the children again as well. Cinderella was the first Disney princess. If you think that's true. Oh, oh Sarah's like, oh. If you think Cinderella was the first Disney princess, give me a thumbs up. If you don't think that's true, give me the thumbs down. It's false. Snow White. Yeah, well done. Snow White was the first Disney princess. Here's one of my favourite statements. Spaghetto is the singular word for a piece of spaghetti. A singular piece of spaghetti is a spaghetto. If you think that's true, give me a thumbs up. If you think that's false, give me the thumbs down. It's true. One piece of spaghetti is called a spaghetto. I love that. Okay, two more. You won't find any hair on a rhino's nose. On the nose of a rhinoceros, you won't find any hair. If you think that's true, give me a thumbs up. If you think that's false, give me a thumbs down. That is false because the horn is made of hair. Ah. And the last one, the last one. The unicorn is the national animal of Scotland. If you think that's true, give me a thumbs up. If you think that's false, give me a thumbs down. There's a lot of thumbs down and a few random thumbs up. It's true. The, the, seriously, 
You're all going to be not listening to my Bible sermon in a minute and going to be Googling all of these, aren't you? The unicorn is the national animal of Scotland. Random. I've never met one, and I hope they've got one in their zoo next time I pop up there. Okay. Well, well I think generally, well done. You, you're actually between us in the majority as a consensus. We're pretty good at discerning the truth when it comes to fun, funny facts. But sometimes it's hard to discern the truth when it comes to the bigger questions of life, to be sure of things we're going we're gonna to pin our hopes on, to anchor our lives on. They can be, they can be harder sometimes to discern. And we're going to meet someone in the, in the book of Luke, um, someone who's um, having doubts in that moment, who wants to be sure of the truth, because we're going to reconnect with John the Baptist. He's a character we met a few months ago in the early chapters of this book. And if you're not familiar with who John the Baptist is, he's uh, Jesus's second cousin. And he's a very quirky character, to say the least. He's famous for three things in particular, amongst others. He's famous for roaming around the desert in a garment made of camel hair, eating locusts for dinner and having honey for pudding. He's famous for that. It's because he's, he's what's known as an ascetic. He was avowed, he was devoted to God's service, which therefore affected his lifestyle and his demeanour and his diet and so on. So he was famous for being quite eccentric in that way. He was also, secondly, famous for proclaiming a message of repentance, of uh, giving up on your old ways of living for yourself or for others and now living for God, repenting of your sins where you've hurt God and hurt other people, repenting of them. And he would baptise people as they lived out that, that decision, baptising them in the waters of the River Jordan and to represent, it was an outward expression of the inward change. We're going to be talking about baptism later on as well. That's what he, he did, is he plunged them into the waters of the, of the Jordan. It was to represent they were dead to their old life, and then they're reborn into a new life. He was also famous for that. But thirdly, he was also famous as being the forerunner, the prophet, the herald of the promised divine rescuer, the advancing messenger he was for the one who everyone was expecting, according to old prophecies. He was, he was like, he's coming. The Messiah is coming. It's imminent. John the Baptist was a herald, and he proclaimed the Messiah's coming, and then he pointed immediately to Jesus of Nazareth. He pointed directly to him when Jesus first appeared on the public arena about a year or two before this incident we're about to read. He pointed to him and said, there he is. Here's the Messiah. The one I've been telling you, I told you he was coming. He's arrived. This is him. He was, he was a herald for the coming Messiah. So John the Baptist he was an eccentric individual he proclaimed a challenging message of repentance. And he also heralded God himself. In every way, this man was someone who unwaveringly and unapologetically danced to a very different tune. He danced to someone else's tune. And now we're going to read of an occasion. It's going to come up on the screen in a minute as well. Where John the Baptist is now in prison for other stuff he said. And while he's there, he's having a moment of doubt. He's... He's having second thoughts, like, did I get this right? Did I make a mistake? Maybe it's not him. And we see Jesus respond in such amazing grace and in the process then reveal people's hearts. We're going to read from Luke 7 and from verse 18. Like I say, it's going to come up on the screen as well. From verse 18, it says this. Jesus has been, just to set the context, Jesus has been um, performing many miracles uh, from town to town, and he's building up uh, quite, a, uh, quite an audience and quite a reputation, obviously, for, for those very reasons. And then 
It says this, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, he sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? They got it word perfect, so well done then. In that hour, it continues, Jesus healed people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, John's disciples, he says to them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Or what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury, they're in king's courts. So what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Jesus continues, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children, or in other words, by their fruit you'll know them. You'll, you'll see the truth of this. See, the world that we live in, it is rammed with people's expectations and judgments of each other, of us, of others. And the internet gives everyone the microphone and turns all that up to 11, doesn't it, as well? And yet it's not much different to the ancient world either, as we see here. This passage concludes with Jesus contending with people who want him to dance to their tune. But it starts, and we'll come to that in a minute, but we, it starts here with John the Baptist, this guy who was happily dancing to another tune, to Jesus' tune. He now wants to be sure in the first place that Jesus is the promised answer to humanity's brokenness and he is the one whose tune is worth dancing to. Until now, John has been so absolutely certain. He's been so utterly convicted, even before he was born. The Bible tells us of a moment when he's in his mum's belly and Jesus' mum Mary turns up pregnant. Jesus, Jesus is in one belly and John's in another. And when Jesus is in the vicinity, John the Baptist in his mum's womb leaps in the spirit. Jesus is here. I know who this is. Messiah's here. Just even before he was born, he knew. And it carries on through his life and he lived out his calling to prepare the way as, as the herald of this coming Messiah. And he pointed to Jesus categorically when Jesus first appeared in the public arena a year or two before this. There he is. That's him. Fulfilling all the prophecies. 
But now, in this moment, he's in prison and he's overthinking it and he's having doubts. Are you, are you the great promise? Are you the rescuer? Did I, did I make a mistake? What's true? Now, having, having doubts is very different to disbelief. Disbelief is I will not believe. I refuse to believe. That's unbelief. Having doubts is different. And God knows we're human. And he knows we very often need help being certain. And being certain comes from looking at the fruit of something and seeing it prove to be what it said on the tin. Like if we want to know what kind of a tree is, you want to know what kind of a tree that is, you look at the fruit. You see the apples and you see the pears. That's a pear tree. Chestnuts. Mugs. Get a mug tree. You look at it and see what kind of... Sorry, I couldn't resist. But you look at the fruit and you can see what kind of a tree it is. You can look and see if it's got good fruit or bad fruit. You know if it's healthy or not. You buy the fruit, you'll know it. And in the same way, if you want to know the measure of a person, we can look to see what fruit their life bears. If there's tendencies towards chaos or poor choices or carefulness or timidity or risk-taking or a pattern of unreliability or a pattern of loyalty and so on. These are just helpful clues to someone's character, isn't it? And what's going on inside. And so the same comes when we want to be sure of God's character. Who is he really? What's, he, what's his character like? Well, we can look at what he does and look at what he's doing and see that that brings the truth. We can look back in appreciation in order to be able to look forward in hope. Well, he's done all of that. Therefore, I can rest secure in what he's going to do next. Even just in this room, many of us, most of us, if not all of us maybe, have tremendous stories of God's faithfulness, of his comfort, of his miraculous intervention in our lives, and so on. If, if, if you can put your hand up, say you've got those stories of God's intervention in your life, put your hand up. If, if you know exactly, if you, you know stories of his comfort, of his faithfulness along the way, you can look back and see his character being lived out loud. This, he puts his money where his mouth is. This is very, very real. And so Jesus, in this moment, he deals with John the Baptist so kindly, he just simply proves through scripture and its fulfillment the truth. He lists all these things, the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk. So what, what do you see is happening? And then remember those prophecies of old of what would happen. Because when he's listing these things, he's actually quoting from the prophet Isaiah, who wrote his writings 700 years before this moment, 700 years B.C. He wrote what we now call the book of Isaiah. We have it in our Old Testament. And it's packed full of these promises. And Jesus is just listing some of those verses scattered through the scripture that John would know to show they were promised and now they're being fulfilled. Ones like Isaiah 35 from verse 4. It says, Behold your God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. He's also quoting from Isaiah 61, that he's also done at another occasion as well, where the prophet Isaiah writes in the first person, the voice of the Messiah to come himself. And he writes, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So Jesus, as he lists these things and refers to these well-known to them, well-known scriptures, he's saying scripture 700 years ago said the promised one will proclaim the good news through miracles as well as words. And what exactly have you seen me doing? 
It's even in the past hour, his disciples would have realized. It says in verse 21, even in that hour, he healed many people. The, those, John's disciples, as they turned up, they'd have seen this happening. What exactly have you seen me doing? Look, tell me what that tells you. What do you think the answer is? So the implications for us today would remain the same. Jesus is still asking us to open our eyes and observe and consider the implications, just to, to look and see. Even through history, the, the four Gospels we have in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they're simply biographies of Jesus, written by eyewitnesses on, from eyewitness accounts, and they are among, by far, the most reliable his, his, um, ancient manuscripts in history, by a long shot. Secular scholars say the same. They're extremely, utterly reliable eyewitness accounts of what Jesus got up to and what Jesus did. And when we con contrast that to the predictions made in even older manuscripts that we find in our Old Testament, the ones that foretold the coming rescuer, more than 700 years before Jesus turned up, these writings told of where the Messiah would be born, how he would be born, from which bloodline he came from, where he'd live, where he, what, what he would do, that he'd be despised and rejected and killed, and much detail was given of his death. And then, not just staying dead, but having died in our place, he would rise again from the dead in utter victory. These were written hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries before Jesus arrived. And Jesus of Nazareth, that man embedded in history, fulfilled all those. He fulfilled over 300 ancient prophecies, 29 of them in one day. We can look back and go, what has God done? What does that mean? I've got to do something with that. But even that, just as we're putting our hands up to stories in our lives, our own experiences as Christians, as we learn to live out walking with Jesus, we see things happen that we attest to, and we often forget, is this really true? And then we look back and go, but he did that, and he did that, and he did that, and he did that. And we hear, that's why it's good to share stories, is we hear each other's stories, we can celebrate, that's what he's like. And therefore I can trust him for the future too. As we look back on these things, we need to consider, what am I going to do with that? We always have a daily choice. What am I going to do with that? And so Jesus helps John the Baptist in this moment, and he helps us now discern what is true by looking back and therefore know which tune is still worth dancing to, the world's tune or his tune. Because Jesus' tune, Jesus' kingdom, is not remotely like any other kingdom. The values of his kingdom are radically different, in many ways completely opposed to that of any other. A kingdom could be anything. That's a, a kingdom could be a nation, can be, uh, can be provinces, can be democracies, uh, republics, communist regimes, ideologies, shared beliefs. Any, wherever people place their allegiance, there's a kingdom. And Jesus is the king of one that is uniquely, uniquely beautiful, one that truly, really proclaims Love and justice and mercy and grace and sacrifice. Things that are only made fully possible by his power alone anyway. We prayed earlier in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. I saw, I saw some of you, your, your heart stirred at that. Yes, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come. That's his kingdom. And that kingdom dances to a very different kind of music than any other. It, it dances to Jesus' tune. As Christians, we belong to another kingdom. We've got a very different soundtrack. There's a, a lovely story that R.C. Sproul tells. He's a pastor and a theologian from America. He died a few years ago. 
And he, t- he told this story of, in 1990, he and his team had been invited into East Europe to give a series of lectures in three countries, in uh, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, and then finally Romania. And they've done the first two countries, and just as they're leaving Hungary, they were warned. The border guards at Romania, they are very hostile to Americans, Christians anyway, but particularly American ones. If you're American, you can be in trouble. You need to be prepared for hassle and possible arrest when you get to the border. So they make their way there on this rickety train, and lo and behold, as they've reached the border of Romania, two border guards got on the train, and they found this party. They didn't speak English. They just simply pointed for their passports and pointed for them to open their luggage. And all this was going on, and uh, they're thinking, oh, (laughs) they're going to find out we're American, we're in trouble. But suddenly their boss appeared, and he's this big burly bloke who did speak a little bit of broken English. And he noticed that one of the women in the group, she had a, a paper bag on her lap and something was poking out of it. He went, what, 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 what is this? What, 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 what's in bag? And he opens the bag and out comes a Bible. And RC thinks, that's it, we're done now. <laughs> we're in trouble. And this officer, he starts leafing through the Bible, looking over the pages really rapidly. And then he stops and he looks at RC who is standing there holding his American passport and he points at him and he goes, you, not American. He's like, what, well, well, I am. <laughs> Very confused. And he points at RC's colleague standing next to him. He was also standing there holding his American passport and he goes, you, not American. And he goes through the whole group who were standing there holding their American passports, pointing at them going, you're not American, you're not American, you're not American. They are very, very confused by now. And then he points at himself. He goes, I, not Romanian. And he flicks through the Bible, points to a verse and says to R.C., read that out. And R.C. reads out Philippians verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 20, that the border guard pointed out. And it said, our citizenship is in heaven. And they realized this guy himself is a Christian. And he got what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means to belong to another kingdom. You are not American. You are not Romanian primarily. We are not British primarily. We belong to another kingdom entirely. We get to dance to a very, very different tune. And Jesus is leading this dance. Leading this dance to his own tune. In verse 32, he says about these people, we'll start from verse 31. He says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't weep. Jesus is saying, no, I've got my own music I've written. That's my jam, not yours. And to belong to Jesus, to be a Christian, means to see the truth and to listen to Jesus' tune alone rather than any other. King David in Psalm uh, 40, he says, He, the Lord, drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. He put a new song in my mouth. That's what it means to be a Christian. We, as his people, are to be dancing to a new song. And today... We're celebrating with three people who are doing exactly that. They've looked, they've seen Jesus for who he is, and they've dedicated their lives in repentance to their old ways and in their love for him. They decided to dance to another tune. Here's one.
So we're going to celebrate with them. We're going to hear their stories in just a moment. But first of all, we're going to watch a little video that just helps explain a bit more what baptism is. I've already explained what John did in baptism. It's an outward expression of inward change. We're just going to watch a two-minute video that explains a little bit more of that in detail. And then we're going to hear their stories. And then we're going to celebrate as, and reflect and respond to the Lord as I sing us our final song. Amen? Amen. Can we... Um, So from a young age, I would always ask to go to church, and I knew God exists, but family didn't go to church. So when I was a teenager, I started to explore my faith, um, and I started going to church with a friend. This friend then announced he was gay, and the church shunned him and kicked him out. This led me to a massive crisis of faith, in which I turned away from God. I started to fill the emptiness with relationships, alcohol, friends, and materialistic things. Fast forward to 2019, I had my little Orla and met Rachel at a mother and baby group. Orla had some difficulties which led me to question what I was doing with my life and wonder if God was still there. I spoke to Rachel and started praying and reading my God, uh, reading my Bible, sorry, (laughs) reading my God. Um, And God did a wonderful thing. One day when I was walking up and down on the sea, I just knew, I felt it. I felt that Jesus had died for our sins and he was risen. And I felt it in my bones that he was the son of God and I just knew. I still had some questions in which Steve put on Christianity Unwrapped, lockdown style. But this only confirmed my feelings and I started to delve deeper into my Bible and prayer life. Since then, I've weathered a few storms and God has shown me that he'll always carry me through and he hasn't given up on me. grow at my age but actually I am going growing I'm growing all the time in faith (laughs) 40 years ago I came to know our Lord Jesus Christ I knew at that moment I was one with him he has been with me all my life Today, I'm ready to reaffirm my faith. I love you all here dearly and hope you will be with me on this next stage of my journey. And I'd just like to read the beginning of Psalm 18. How I love you, Lord. You are my defender. The Lord is my protector He is my strong fortress. My God is my protection, and with him I'm safe. He protects me like a shield. He defends me and keeps me safe. I call to the Lord, and he saves me from my enemies. Praise the Lord. know me my name is Joseph Richardson before I accepted Jesus Christ as my saviour I was very anti-religion my wife Mel would often try and talk to me about Christianity as she was exploring her own faith and I would be very hostile and argumentative in my responses due to different reasons in my life I'd become very hard-hearted and emotionless I attended Mel's own baptism and was happy for her But when she asked my thoughts on the event later that day, I simply responded that I didn't get it all and that uh, we're not worthy of salvation, 
What's that all about? It was something later, that, uh, it was sometime later that Mel had offered to pray for me and also requested that I pray sincerely and just simply ask for God to give me a sign. I prayed honestly and asked God that if he was indeed there to give me a sign and I wasn't expecting an answer at all. Periodically, Mel would ask if I'd received a sign and I hadn't. Um, we attended my eldest daughter Esme's Christmas Carol concert in 2018 and we arrived slightly late. A friend had saved a seat for Mel and ironically I needed to kneel at the front. While knelt there I had now what I know as the Holy Spirit come over me. An intense feeling of warmth, love and happiness entered my heart. I knew but could not admit that Jesus our Lord and Saviour had answered my prayer. I started attending church around March 2019 and had accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour by January the following year. Since accepting it, uh, my marriage and personal relationships have all become stronger and more fruitful. My heart has been softened and I'm able to feel the emotions I've lost for so long. I'd like to thank you all at Beacon Church for being my wonderful family and sharing all your gifts and experience um, for Jesus' glory. It is so encouraging to anybody new to faith and my lovely wife um, it is so encouraging to anybody new to faith and my lovely wife for her patience at times when I know I could be testing when I was hard-hearted and hostile. The main reason for me wanting to share my testimony is to encourage anybody listening to start your own journey with Jesus. If you haven't yet, as it's truly amazing, and to declare to all that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Saviour, and I cannot wait to be baptised. <laughs>